0: Welcome to Testing Code, a podcast about software development and software testing. Matt Harrison is an author and instructor of Python and data science. Uh, during this episode, we're going to talk to him about uh, lots of things, including corporate training. Matt's written several books on Python, mostly self-published. So, of course, we talk about that. But the bulk of the conversation is about corporate training, with me playing the role of someone considering starting a corporate training role and asking Matt, an experienced expert in training, how to start and where to go from there. I think you'll learn a lot from this. I did. Thank you to PyCharm for sponsoring this episode. Check them out at testingcodecom slash pycharm. And listen to their segment later in the show. So on today's Testing Code, we have uh, Matt Harrison. Matt, could you introduce yourself? Sure.
1: I am Matt Harrison, and I run Metasnake. Metasnake is a Python and data science training and consulting shop. So I do a bunch of virtual training, a lot of that through O'Reilly, and I do a bunch of live training as well for clients. So these are typically big clients where they have a bunch of people who need to learn Python or data science or some combination of those things, and I do training for them. I also do consulting as well. The consulting sort of lends in good to being able to train because at least it seems in this environment, there's a lot of fast moving parts or technology is changing. So being able to consult allows you to sort of stay on top of, of what is out there in the real world. That's a Metasnake. And in addition to that, I guess I'm a creator. And so I, I've written a couple books on Python and pandas. My most popular book is Illustrated Guide to Python 3. That came out a year or so ago. Geez, I can't even remember my name, the name of my book. Yeah, (laughs) Learning the Pandas Library. My illustrated Guide to Python 3 book previously was called Treading on Python Volume 1. So it's a beginner guide to Python. And then I have Volume 2 of that, which covers intermediate topics like decorators and generators and those sorts of things. That's how I discovered you. Yeah. And so right now I'm actually working on three books. And a couple courses as well, in addition to training and consulting. So that's, I guess, me in a nutshell.
0: we got lots of questions, I'll just jump off from a lot of these. Okay. When you say consulting, does that mean like a contract employee sort of thing? Or what does that mean? I guess it means that someone has
1: some work that they want done, and I don't want to be a full-time employee, but I'll, I will do work for them, that sort of thing. Typically a lot of it is sort of minimum viable product or exploratory type stuff, or they, they want someone to go check out some problem or create a minimum solution for them or do some analysis for them.
0: Okay. You've written a lot of books and you also work with O'Reilly. Are the books through O'Reilly or through your Metasnake?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I have worked with O'Reilly for a couple of years. Having said that all the books so far have not been through O'Reilly. They've all been self-published and I guess my editor, who I was working with with O'Reilly, we, we decided to sort of remedy that. So, uh, one of the books I'm working on right now is will be through O'Reilly, and that's a little machine learning book that should be. But the the other one have all been self published, and I I have sort of mixed mixed feelings on on self publishing or, or publishing. It certainly empowers people to be able to you know if, if you want to write a book or do your thing. It's really easy to do these days, and, and so publishing can be a great way to go. And even if you want the O'Reilly name or whatnot, you could start off with self-publishing, and that will sort of get you. Multiple publishing houses have come to me and said they wanted to publish my books after the fact. So even if you, like, pitched a book and they said no, you can go out and write your book, and if it does well, you can go out and pitch it to them again and say, hey, do you want this book now? And... Uh, <laughs> I think a lot of them would be interested. At least that's my experience. A lot of publishing houses have, have pitched me about acquiring my
0: books after the fact. Interesting. Okay. So I only have the one book, but I had an the ebook that was a, a survey of uh, PyTest, Nose, and Unit Test, and uh-huh. did, did that before I did published with Pragmatic. That doesn't count as a book? I guess it does count as a book because it was a, a self-published published book, but it, they don't exist at the same time because one of the... Yeah, the original idea for the Pragmatic book was to be similar, a similar sort of um, competing with the previous book. So okay. it ended up not. I scrapped the unit test and nose portion of that to just focus on PyTest. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's too. I guess I did both the self-published and the uh, – but the self-published book was it was all blog content. It was all content that was freely available anyway. Just people could buy it if they wanted to for in an ebook form. Uh-huh. It is interesting. Uh, I follow you a lot because of it. Seems like the uh, self-publishing thing is at least sort of working for you. Illustrated Guide to Python is um, or to Python three is huge, and I know a lot of the other ones are pretty cool as well and uh, and well received. There's a lot of work that goes into self-publishing.
1: There is a lot of work. I guess I would say. The, there's a couple questions, like I mean, we can get into sort of the nuances of like self-publishing versus published or whatnot. But from my point of view, you know, Amazon's sort of the big elephant, and if you're on Amazon, then that's where 90% of your sales are going to be. Self-publishing allows you to get on Amazon relatively easily. If you are published through, you know, some other house, they're they're going to get you into Barnes and Noble or whatnot, and there can be some good sales from that. But the real question is how much marketing and pushing of the, the book are they going to do for you? If they're not going to do a lot of that, you know, <laughs> that's the trade off, right? Definitely. And it seems like most companies don't want to do a lot of marketing for you or, or they do relatively little, right? They'll, they'll do an email blast every now and then when your book comes out. But that's
0: about it. Yeah, I'm going to Play devil's advocate here and just say that, like, even if they were doing a lot of marketing for books, I wouldn't be paying attention to it. Whereas the authors themselves, I might be paying attention to already. And that's a good point. And
1: most people don't write books, I guess, to get rich off of books. Now, there are some books that do very well from them and, you know, make a salary from. But uh, most technical books aren't full-time sort of pay. And and if you want to write a book, you you should probably write it for other reasons other than like monetary reasons per se.
0: There's a ton of questions I have for you about books. But I I know that the only I guess one of the things I'd like to try to tell people listening is I think it's worthwhile to write about software. If you either on a blog or I think trying to do a long form, even for a short book, like under a 100 page book, I think it's a, a decent idea to try to get your head around how much you really understand about something. So I think that'd be a cool thing. But but I don't really think that many people are going to take us up on that. This episode is sponsored by PyCharm. I have told you that my team has switched to PyCharm to speed up our workflow. So far, I've talked about the awesome PyTest support, Git integration, and in episode 62, the virtual environment support. Today, I want to tell you about all of the file types I have to deal with. My Python projects are not just Python files. They also have any files, YAML files, config files, and documents in Markdown and restructured text. PyCharm applies syntax highlighting to all of these. Very cool. Helps with the visual feedback. But it's the preview feature for restructured text and Markdown that I really love. I almost always forget to put blank lines above lists in Markdown, so I always double-check the preview when making changes to lists. And really anything. You can have live preview on or hide it and just check after you make changes. Super useful. In restructured text, PyCharm really saves my butt there. I don't have hardly any of the restructured text syntax memorized, so I always have live preview on to make sure I don't muck up some documentation when I'm modifying it. If you value your time, you owe it to yourself to try PyCharm. Just for test and code listeners, you can try PyCharm Pro for an extended four-month trial before deciding which version you want to use by going to testandcode.com slash PyCharm. This offer is good until April 1st, but don't wait. Save time now with Pycharm. One of the things I've always been interested in about is this in-person corporate training sort of thing. I did talk with uh, Reuven Lerner about that a little bit. He does that as well. You've mentioned you do that. So is your corporate training, is that in-person you like show up and do like one or two days of training at a site or something?
1: What that typically consists of is multiple three or four days at a site, and you know full day training. Taking, I have courses on fundamentals of Python. I have intermediate Python. I have testing, pandas courses, visualization courses, machine learning courses. So talking to a client, seeing what they're interested in, and then, you know, getting them the material that they want. And right now there is, there seems to be a, a large demand for Python and Python training. And so it's it's a great place to be right now.
0: If I was somebody that wanted to uh, start doing that, that just seems overwhelmingly, I, I wouldn't know what to do.
1: Say you were like some guy who wrote a, like the only book on PyTest and you wanted to like do training on pie Test, right? Yeah. So how, how would you do that? The
0: hypothetical.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, say some person exists. Okay. I mean, I, I think the first thing to do is probably start small, right? And I guess it depends on sort of what your goal is. Yeah. Are you looking to do like corporate training as like a side gig? Or are you looking to do it sort of on a weekend night thing? Or are you sort of looking to do it on a more full-time basis, right? Because – I think corporate training is probably a little bit more difficult to get into than maybe like consulting or something like that, where you can do it in off hours or whatnot. Corporate training is typically during the hours that you typically be at another job or whatnot. Right. So unless you have a really flexible job, that makes it a little bit hard, if, if that makes sense.
0: Well, then let's take it out of the hypothetical of me. And uh, because, yeah, I, I, can't be going off during the I'd be taking vacation time I guess to go do this. Yeah. If somebody were to um to start. I mean even if I had like I was doing contract jobs or something and it was relatively easy for me to get some free days to go train somewhere. Mm-hmm. Still that is starting small does make sense because you got to make a name for yourself, right? Yeah. Does it take a long time to come up with the content or had, when you started did you have a whole Three days planned already, or did you just jump in and wing it?
1: I guess I can go over my background a little bit more. So when I was in high school, I have always been sort of involved in tutoring and helping and that sort of thing. My mom's a secondary school teacher, and and so I guess teaching and and that sort of thing is in my blood. So I I did tutoring in high school for math. I did tutoring in college, basically paid my way through college through tutoring. And so I've always sort of felt like – I'm decent at, at helping people get through something, right? I mean, if I can take someone who's getting a C in math and help them get an A in math, maybe I can help them learn how to program or something like that. And I guess just from that slant, when I would read something or learn something, I was I would take my slant out. Well, what, how would I change this? Or what? how would I like to learn this? And so I think back in 2006 or so, I pitched, I think it was 2006, I pitched a tutorial to PyCon for just a beginning Python course, a three-hour course, which was, in my mind, it was, this is what I would like. At that point, I'd been using Python for like six years. And it was like, this is what I would want if I was new to Python and I was coming to it. These are the things that I would have liked someone to tell me. I did that tutorial, and that was just sort of out of the blue. I thought, no, this would be fun. You know, It's a good good chance to speak, and I, I like to help and teach. And then my book sort of came out of that. Talk was accepted at, at another conference and I figured that I would, rather than rewrite the slides, I would take the content of that and put it into a book. Okay, And so that sort of started the book thing. And then I've basically been doing a lot of tutorial stuff since then. Almost every PyCon since then I, I've done one or two tutorials or done the the kids learn Python day or whatnot. About four years ago, I just had enough material and enough time teaching that people were coming to me asking for help with uh, learning Python. I think it was a combination of putting myself out at conferences and also the books, and that combination sort of put me in a place where people would approach me to
0: help them. Okay.
1: How often? How often am I doing training? Yeah. Yeah. So I could be on the road 24-7 if I wanted to. Okay. But I try and limit that. So I've got a family and I kind of enjoy being at home with them. And so I try and limit to being on the road a week or so a month.
0: Okay. Do you usually have to travel then uh, for these? Some of my clients are remote and I've got
1: a couple of good clients here locally. So I'm I'm based out of Salt Lake City in Utah. And so I've got a couple – good clients locally that that I work with as well. So, okay. but yeah, I mean, if, if I wanted to, I could be in New York or California 24-7 teaching Python. There, I mean, there's a huge demand out there.
0: Yeah. What sorts of uh, variety is, is most of your stuff that people are requesting? Is it a lot of beginning Python?
1: I have a lot of my own clients and I've also taught for other people. So, well-known Python trainers that you've, you've heard of. I, I've taught courses for them as well. It seems that right now Python's sort of the hot language and everyone wants to, or big traditional Fortune 500 type companies are now migrating and saying, oh, we need to use this because IBM is pushing it or, you know, big companies are using it now. And so a lot of the training that I do has been for like network engineers or system administrators who are sort of adopting Python. There are a lot of nuance that a lot of people, I think, don't understand and don't, out of their own initiative, go and discover. And so some people will, they'll like watch videos or read esoteric blog posts or whatnot, but a lot of people, when they're at the job, they're like, okay, well, I need to do a function, this is how I make a function in Python. They don't ever worry about like if default variables are mutable or whatnot. And sometimes that they run into that issue and they're not really sure what happens. But, you know, after a couple hours, they figure it out or whatnot. And so I typically push and and say, like, you know, what what do your developers really know? Because typically what I do is I will give a fundamentals of Python course first. And even though people have been, quote, using Python for years, it seems that there's a lot of value in that just talking about the object model of Python, what's going on under the covers and understanding the ethos of Python uh, makes things just sort of click and the other classes seem to flow better after that.
0: Is the fundamentals a, a like one day of the three or is it a three day thing? No, that's a three day thing. Yeah. yeah, that's probably good. And then do you, like you said, you teach different, like there's network engineers or sysadmins or security people. Will you target your examples towards whatever they're doing, or does does that fit in?
1: I have done that. It just depends on the client. So I tell the client beforehand, hey, if you've got some data or examples that you know that you want me to cover, give those to me and we can look at that. And so I have done that, and I, I did that recently with the machine learning and exploratory data analysis class, and that was really cool just because they were all subject matter experts in the data, right? And so... They enjoyed
0: digging into that. Did you know, uh, like, a data analysis and machine learning on your own or for a job, or did you pick that up so that you could do training? So I have a
1: computer science degree from Stanford, and my first job out of college was working for a search startup out in Silicon Valley. From that, I picked up some NLP and some basic BI analytics type stuff, and then after that, I... I had the chance to uh, start a small company doing business intelligence in a niche vertical. And then after that, I went to work for a storage company doing basically data analysis and statistical process control and predictive models around failure mechanisms and using Python to like pull the data and, and run these models and whatnot. And so a lot of like, quote, data science, I mean, the definitions for data science, you asked. 10 different people, you get 10 different answers. But, you know, some people say it's a programmer who knows more statistics than most programmers. Other people say it's a statistician who knows more programming. So I guess I would fall into the boat of someone who's, who's a programmer who knows slightly more statistics than normal programmer.
0: Are the, the, these types of classes uh, and courses uh, getting more popular or I mean, I would guess they're getting more popular, but am, am I right?
1: For me, yeah, they they are getting more popular. I'm seeing more demand and AI and ML are sort of buzzwords these days. Yeah. A lot of people want to use them <laughs> and think they need them or think they need them. And perhaps a lot of people should use them or could have some low hanging fruit where they could leverage this and make sort of a lot of gains. But they're just not in a place to really take advantage of it, just with maybe their data or the environment, the maturity of you know the engineers or whatnot.
0: But there's also a big spectrum. I mean, it's kind of a, I mean, a, that's a silly thing to say actually, but but there's everything from facial recognition running on a Raspberry Pi up to like you're doing huge models that run over long periods of time on massive numbers of servers. And this is all sort of in the machine learning and data science fields, so that's where a lot of it get at least on my perspective looking in from the outside i wouldn't even know if I have the equipment or or what kind of data I need or what size to to start working with that. So.
1: I can give like my anec data right or i mean this is i'm a sample size of one, and you know I consult on probably relatively small projects right What I mostly see is what we call structured data so structured data would be something that's in a database or in a spreadsheet or something like that and a lot of the times people will want to make some prediction so they they know that generic examples are like i want to predict how much a house costs right and so i have a spreadsheet that has all these past cells and i want to make a model that will predict you know, how much my house will, will sell for based on square footage, number of bathrooms, acreage, that sort of thing. And so that would be, you know, you have a database that describes that. That would be structured data. And we would make a predictive model about that. Also popular these days is, is or at least there's a lot of buzz, is deep learning. And, and deep learning is more dealing with unstructured data. That would be videos or images or text. We just have a bunch of information, but it's not necessarily organized in a way that you can pull data apart from it, but using deep learning, deep learning sort of, if you imagine your data is sort of a crumpled up piece of paper, deep learning can sort of uncrumple that paper and pull, figure out where the interesting points are on it, if that makes sense. It's a simplified analogy of what's going on there.
0: Yeah, cool. So like if somebody jumped into that and actually really anything, whether it was testing or some specific uh, or even Python or specific aspect of the language, like maybe uh, asynchronous or, you know, whatever the buzzword is that they want to beef up on and wanted to share that to do, to do help other, others in their field, whether it's, um, well, I guess specifically in like in-person training I guess, I mean, reasonably it would, it could be something that somebody could set up for uh, they would just say, you know, I've already got a full-time job, but I, I can do like one or two afternoons a month just to get, get their feet wet. Uh, is that something that would be reasonable or what do you think?
1: Yeah, I guess let's take like the case of like PyTest, right? Yeah. If you were to attend a class on pie Test, how long do you think would be like a good length of a class for PyTest?
0: I guess that's a good question. It depends on what you want to get done. But um, it'd be great if I could learn enough to get up to speed in like a half a day.
1: I do training on Test through o- O'Reilly. So I I have some courses on PyTest through O'Reilly. And with, like, hands-on examples and whatnot, you can basically cover... Here's how to lay out your project. Here's how to write a simple test. Here's how assert sort of works, and here's how to run them. But you can't get into like really fixtures or parameterization or marks or any of that in that amount of time. Okay. Or at least that seems to be my experience, right? With with a class and, and sort of pushing them through examples. And and my my training tends to be very hands on. Okay. Here's some lecture, and then here I'm going to let you try it out on, on your own machine. Uh, I take the approach that I think most people learn. Well, there, there's a quote by Confucius, so it goes something like this. I hear and I forget, I see and I remember, I do and I understand. I'm very much of that. If, if I do something, I understand it. And so I, I, I feel that uh, a lot of lab time and, and trying stuff out is good.
0: All right, so it's actually, there's probably less content than I would have expected to fill up like a couple days. If you haven't done corporate training, you're probably
1: overestimating, not that there isn't a lot of work there, but you're probably overestimating the content that would go into it. Yeah. For a three hour class, you're basically gonna be able to talk about you know, the basics of a unit test or the unit test paradigm, laying out your project and writing a simple test and maybe catching exceptions.
0: We're seeing this a lot, not necessarily PyTest, but like for instance, uh, Python understanding. Uh-huh. And what I'm seeing is I'm seeing people that they have like somebody else in control decided on some tool and the way they use it is through Python. So they've got to learn enough Python to uh, get that part of their job done.
1: I see a lot of people like that. I would call them like the begrudging Python attendees, right? They're in the class, but they're not necessarily happy about being in the class, but their manager sort of forcing them to be in the class. And I understand like. If you've been doing whatever, C++ or Java for 20 or 30 years, and, and then your boss comes in and says, oh, you need to learn Python and you're a newbie again, that can be sort of humiliating or a big blow to your pride, right, to have to like sit into a class and, and be a newbie again.
0: I get that. I hope people don't have that attitude because what I end up seeing is people that occasionally have to hire people. And what I end up seeing a lot of is I see a lot of examples of people that have Lots of experience in coding, but only a a little bit of experience in Python. But they think they know enough. They know the syntax. So then I see Python programs that look like C programs. They're just written in Python. I see Python programs that look like Java. Those are a hard pass for me as far as hiring goes, partly because of that, because I know that that person hasn't embraced the, I'm new at something, I'm going to learn how they do it. Part of it's just difficult. I mean, like you said, it's easy to get the job done in Python, even if you do it in an extremely inefficient manner. It
1: can be difficult. I mean, like I said, I, I do train a lot of these types of people who are, who are coming to Python with a lot of experience. But I mean, I think if, if you take the right attitude and you sort of take a step back and don't try and make Python BC or Java, and you understand sort of the, the fundamentals, which I think a lot of people don't, because Not a lot of people are writing blog posts about that. They sort of just skip over these things.
0: There's a surprising number of people, it's surprising to me at least, number of people that that are not learning things on their free time just for the heck of it. They do what they need to for their job. For those
1: people, I think corporate training is awesome because those are the people who, I mean, they like their job, but they're they're not going to go out of their way to learn something sort of at night or on the weekends. And so... I think that's when you want to say, okay, let's bring in a trainer in here, and he's going to level up, or he or she is going to level up everyone, so they all have the same basic understanding and and foundational skills, and then they can move together, and then you're not sort of fighting about, oh, why are you writing this like it's C++ or C, those sorts of issues, and those people who are writing the code that way will understand, why or how they should be using the tool the correct way.
0: So you're doing corporate training like about one week a month. What do you do in the other three weeks? You got three weeks off taking vacations?
1: Like I said, I do a bunch of online training. So I I do that for O'Reilly, a lot of online training. So I have, I think, 10 or so classes that I do for them. So I have a pretty cool course on just hands-on intro to Python. And it's basically an experiment in massive pair programming or group programming. So take a, just finished one of them last night, 200 people, and walk through creating what's called a Markov chain. The idea is, again, it's an introduction to Python, so it's assuming you've had some programming practice, but the course is a little bit different from most courses, there aren't any slides, and we just basically, you open a terminal or command prompt, we ensure that you have Python installed, we launch idle and we start coding and we make this Markov chain generator that uh, eventually we go to Project Gutenberg and download some files and then we train the Markov chain generator and then we write a REPL and a command line client for it. And along the way, talk about sort of the ethos of Python and Zen of Python and best practices and how Python may be unlike other languages. So that's one of the classes I teach there. Like I said, I also have uh, PyTest classes there, visualization, pandas, machine learning. These are not recorded courses? Safari has what they call live training. And so they are recorded, but the intent there is to have a live instructor there to be able to help you with it issues you might have or, or come across.
0: Do you get to see people, how they submit their code or something? Or?
1: There's a chat interface where I can interact with them.
0: Okay. Through that.
1: So it's, it's sort of weird. You'll see me, I mean, my family will see me like sitting in my office talking to my computer for six hours on end, right? Yeah. <laughs> That seems to be my life, and so yeah. The other three weeks, I, I mean, I, I do that a bit, and then, like I said, I do some consulting, and I'm also in the middle of three books right now. So,
0: well, you keep this pace up, in another year, you'll have like 20 books or something. I don't know about that. And then uh, we get to see each other at PyCon because we're gonna chill out in the same booth for a while. Pycharm people are gonna have a little booth there, and and they neat, cool. We did meet in person a couple times. At at least ran into you at the last two PyCons. And that's been fun. Yeah. What's really exciting to you about Python or consulting or anything? You got anything that you're really excited about lately? I get
1: quite a bit of people who email me on LinkedIn or directly and are like, I want help. I want some sort of, you know, mentoring type system. And and so a nut I'm trying to think about how to crack is how to assist those sorts of people. Right. Typically, corporate training is make some broad generalizations like good corporate training is with a large company that has a training budget and has a bunch of people they need to train, right? So that's sort of a good gig, right? Maybe a less good gig is a smaller company that has one training that they need or sort of has one employee that they need to to train. And so I'm trying to figure out how to to sort of crack that nut or if there's a way to like scale out to not just provide video But be able to provide mentoring and feedback to multiple sort of individuals, but maybe in a mass effort. And and that's something I've been thinking about. I'm not quite sure how to do that. But it seems like there's a demand for that or people keep asking me for that. and. I haven't quite figured out how to do that.
0: That's an interesting thing. and I'll have to keep, uh, keep in touch with you. To figure, if you figured that out, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. There's a bunch of other stuff that I think I could ask you about, and we could get in into deep into a lot of these things. But um, I think I want to wrap it up. We haven't mentioned where people can find all of these goodies. Do you have a central place that you advertise or blog at or anything?
1: My company is called Metasnake. And so metasnake.com, you can go there. And that is my company. I typically tell people, like, the best way to get in touch with me if they want to is is probably via Twitter. So Dunder M. Harrison underscore underscore M. Harrison underscore underscore. That's a good initial point. And then if if we need to do exchange emails or whatnot, can pass it on from
0: there. Okay. I am getting more and more into some data science stuff. Well, that's
1: awesome. Yeah, I mean, and... You know, I was sort of half joking, but in my pie test class, I push your book. I recommend it. And, you know, if, if you are interested in doing pie test training or, or want some help in doing that, you know, maybe like on the side or whatnot, or weekend type thing, then we should talk about it. And uh, I'm sure, you know, given your background and, you know, experience writing a book, that would be something that y- you should be able to leverage.
0: That oh, might be fun. Anyway, Cool. I'm glad I have you as a friend, and I'll I'll tap that shoulder when I need to. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for talking with us today. There's a lot of great info, and uh, we'll check in with you later. Thanks. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks again to PyCharm for sponsoring the show. Remember to try out PyCharm Pro for four months before picking a license by going to testandcode.com slash pycharm. That link is also in the show notes at testandcode.com slash 63. Also in the show notes are the links we discussed about in the show. Thank you, Matt, for talking with us, for helping teach people Python, and for helping to promote my and book. That's awesome. Thanks also to Patreon supporters. You keep me going. And thank you, the listener. Thank you for helping to grow the show by spreading the word to friends and colleagues on social media and on giving ratings on iTunes or wherever you listen. That's all for now. Now go ahead and test something. Or... Maybe start a training practice with all this great advice from Matt.